Man, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Again, my name is Byron. If you are a guest, welcome. Thank you so much. If you are not yet on a team or connected here, I would invite you to stick around after service for next steps. Uh, we'll have lunch together. We'll share the vision and give you an opportunity to plug in and be a part of what God is doing. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Acts chapter 2 as we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. And as we get started, I want to show you guys a picture. Can anybody tell me what this photo is? What is that? Anybody? Oh, what is that? baptisms, right? We love baptisms here at Redemption. You know, over the last seven years since we planted this church, we have baptized at or about 400 people as a church. That's amazing. It's amazing to see what God has done. Hey, if you've been baptized here at Redemption, just give me a little whoop whoop. Listen to that, man. It is amazing to see the stories of life change that have taken place here in our church. We love baptisms. But did you know that there's not just one baptism in the Bible? There's actually three baptisms. A lot of people don't know this because even I didn't know this until I began studying for our series through the book of Acts, is that there's not just one baptism that as believers we get to experience. There's actually three separate baptisms that are mentioned in the Bible. Let me go ahead and set up this sermon by giving you those three. The first is a baptism by the Spirit into the body the church or the family of God. Let me show you 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit. So the spirit baptizes us, what? Into one body. That's the church. That's the, the family of God. And then it goes on to say, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, while we were given to one spirit to drink. So this is what happens the moment a person becomes a Christian. The moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the love of the Father, into the family of God. You are baptized in the church. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what you're from, who you voted for, or who your mama is. Everybody, old is gone, new has come. When you meet Jesus, you're baptized by the Spirit into the body. The second baptism is what we see on the screen. It's water baptism. We're baptized by the church in water. Jesus says in the Great Commission, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what we are most commonly familiar with is water baptism. It's the first step in following Jesus it's an act of us going under the water and then being resurrected just as Jesus is resurrected to new life. We too also experience new life as well through water baptism. But there's a third baptism that's often overlooked and underappreciated and it's what is known as spirit baptism or baptism by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Got a verse. Let me read it to you. Luke 3, 15. This is John the Baptist. The very beginning of Jesus' earthly life and ministry says this. The people who are waiting expectantly, and they were all wondering in their hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah, the promised anointed one of the Old Testament, the king who would come and right every wrong and bring about the kingdom of God, the very, um, the, the Messiah. And John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than me, what he will do is he will come in the straps of his sandals, I am not worthy of the tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So here's the question. Who baptizes us into the body? The Spirit does. Who baptizes us in water? The church does. 
Who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit? Jesus does, right? And so here's why this is so relevant for what we're talking about today. Here's my question. Is it essential or optional to be baptized into the family of God? It's essential, okay? You cannot be a Christian without this happening. It's what happens at the moment of your conversion, you're baptized into the love of the Father and into the family of God, into the body, which is the church. So that happens at the moment of salvation. It is essential, not optional. Here's the second question. When it comes to water baptism, is it optional or is it essential? It's essential. The Bible knows nothing of a believer who is not baptized. It's actually the first step in following Jesus is that we were to be baptized just like every other Christian on the planet for the last 2,000 years. It's, it's a command. Jesus says, go. That's a command, command to be baptized as well. So that's essential. And then water baptism is essential, which brings us to the question, is spirit baptism essential? Or is it optional for us? See, if we wouldn't think that the first two baptisms are optional, then why is it that so many people think spirit baptism is not necessary for them to live the authentic Christian life? Because we need the Spirit's power to be able to enable us to do and live the very ways in which Jesus required us to live. This is exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. If we go back to Acts 1-4, following the, the death, burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, he tells them this. He says, he says while staying with them, he ordered them, that's a command. Like Jesus is not saying, hey, it'd be a good idea. He says, no, you need to listen to me. I'm ordering you to do what? To not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? The promise of the Holy Spirit. Why? He quotes back to John in Luke chapter three. He says, John has baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he tells them, stay and wait. Why? Because they, were, they did not have what they needed to be successful in the vision that God had given to them. Now, I think this is very interesting because if anybody could continue the ministry and works of Jesus, it would have been the disciples. I mean, if you just think about it, like they spent three years with Jesus. They saw him preach, teach, heal, cast out demons, walk on water, perform miracles. They watched him raise the dead. They, they saw his sermons and they even heard his parables. And when everybody else was confused, Jesus took him aside and he explained the kingdom of God to these 12 that he never told and shared with anybody else. Like you would think that if anybody had what it took to be able to, to, to fulfill this plan and God's purpose, it would have been the disciples. And yet Jesus says, you ain't ready. You don't have it. You're missing something. You cannot do this on your own. You're going to need something greater, something bigger, and something more powerful. You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus didn't see spirit baptism as optional. Jesus saw it as essential. The apostles didn't see spirit baptism as optional. They saw it as essential. So we need to recognize that spirit baptism is not optional for our life, but rather it is essential for our life to be filled with the spirit and empowered by God to continue the mission and the ministry of God for our lives. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to answer this question, what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Because I know that in this room, many of us have not heard about this. We've heard about being baptized by the Spirit into one body. We've heard about being baptized in water, 
but we have not yet heard teachings around the subject of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, open up me to Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. We're gonna read it all, make a few observations, and then I'm gonna give you four things you need to know about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Here's how we read it right here. In verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, let's pause for just a moment. What is Pentecost? Right, Pentecost is not a denomination of churches. Uh, it actually goes 2,000 years ago, and it is the 50th day after Passover. The Pentecost was a festival called the Festival of First Fruits or the Festival of the Harvest. Okay, and it came 50 days after Passover. What is Passover? Passover celebrates what God did for the Israelites leading that Egypt through the death angel passed over any home that had the blood on the doorpost. And that person was delivered in the same way Jesus is our Passover lamb, that his shed blood forgives us of our sins, cleanses us of unrighteousness, and sets us free to live into a new life with him. And so Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament festivals and prophecies through his death, burial, and resurrection, and also through Pentecost. And so there's 50 days, that's what it means, 50, 50 days after the resurrection, and then Pentecost happens. So they're praying, they're gathered together. What does it say? They were all together in one place. They were in the upper room, they were praying. And then here's what we see. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. That's kind of strange. <laughs> Where did that come from? Tongues of fire separated and came and rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews and in, uh, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Interesting. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygia and Phimalabasia. I'm already speaking in tongues. All right. Egypt and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts and Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And I love this last line. This is so amazing. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? How many of you, when you just read that, you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, that's wild, right? How many of you read this and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. You ever read the Bible, just come across those like, wait, what verses? That's what this is. This is one of those wait, what verses? And some of you, you, you hadn't been taught this uh, because you probably didn't grow up in a church that walked verse by verse through books of the Bible, but that's what we do here. And so if you walk verse by verse through books of the Bible, eventually you're gonna come across the, what did I just read verses? And that's what this is. It's one of those, what did I just read verses? And so a lot of people have different philosophies and, and doctrines and, and, and beliefs when it comes to this subject of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So I wanna take some time before we dive into it and I wanna do a little theology. Can you guys do some theology with me for a minute? I mean, you guys are smart. Put your thinking caps on. Let's go to college, all right? Here, here's two big fancy words I'm gonna give to you. One's called cessationism. The other's called continuationism. All right, turn to your neighbor and say cessationism. All right, now turn to your other neighbor and say continuationism. 
There we go. You guys sound so smart. Y'all gonna be able to impress your friends on Facebook. They're gonna think you're so smart. You just tell them, I went to redemption. There we go. Hey, you get what you pay for and church is free. So here, here's what cessationism would teach that the miraculous signs or the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They're no longer in operation or available for us as a church. And they get that verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what it says in verse eight. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. There's the word, cease, cessation. They will stop. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So here's what they would say. When the perfect comes, there will be no need for spiritual gifts or for miraculous moves of God because we have the perfect now. So what is the perfect? Well, according to the, the perfect is the, the Bible. Once the final period by the last apostle was put right there, then all of a sudden there was no longer any need for the miraculous or for the supernatural or for the signs because now we have the scriptures. We have the Bible and the Bible is perfect. Now listen, I agree with my cessationist brothers and sisters. I, I agree that one, the Bible is the authoritative living word of God that is to be submitted under and we're to build our lives upon. I love the Bible. I also agree that the gifts will cease. I believe that one day there is not gonna be any need for miracles. There's not gonna be need for any signs. There's not gonna be need for any, any gifts of the spirit. I just disagree on who and when. What they would say is, the perfect is the Bible. I would say the perfect refers to the second coming of Jesus. Amen. That when Jesus returns, Jesus, the perfect is to come, then we are not gonna need any spiritual gifts. You know why? Because you're not gonna need to lead anybody to Jesus because they're already in heaven. Like when you get to heaven, nobody's gonna be healed. You know why? Because everybody's already healed. When you get to heaven, you're not gonna have to prophesy. What does God think? Well, I'll just walk over there and ask him. And in heaven, nobody's going to need to speak in tongues. You know why? Because everybody's going to speak in tongues in heaven. All right? And so I just disagree with, with what I think the perfect refers to Jesus. And then the second thing is I disagree with when. Right? When, I would say, gifts will cease when we get to heaven. But until we get to heaven, I believe that the miraculous continues to this day. That's why redemption is a continuationist church. So where do we get that from? Well, if you go back to me, to the Great Commission, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. How long are we gonna have the Holy Spirit? Until the day Jesus comes back. You will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then they ask him this question, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, that's not up for you to know, for I did not set the times or the places, but the Father only knows that. What's he talking about? The second coming of Jesus. And then he says, immediately following that, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So how long do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Until the day and the moment, boom, that Jesus comes back. And until Jesus comes back, we got work to do which means we need the baptism of the Spirit to fill us up and to empower us to be his witnesses so that way we can do this. Listen, here's the reason why behind uh, this entire sermon series, I'm trying to drill this in your head as much as I can because we got 80 more weeks in the book of Acts. I want you to know this. If he did it for them, he could do it for us. This is a continuationist mindset. If he did it for them, he can do it for us. If he did it then, he can do it again. And that when we read the book of Acts, we're not just reading a bunch of stories that happened a long time ago. What we're reading in the book of Acts is, our, is what God desires for us as a church. 
that this isn't just what happened. This is what happens when a church that gets filled with the spirit and starts becoming the church that God dreams and God envisions for them to accomplish and to see. This is not just a history book. This is a legacy book. It's the legacy that we have received from those who have passed down to us. And it is the legacy that we leave to the generation that comes after us. Because if God did it for them, then God can do it for us. Question, does God still want to heal? Does God still want to save? Does God still want to transform a city and bring revival to a nation? Does God still want to see people get dunked and baptized in water? Does God still want to see people be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Does God still see, want to see lives changed and souls saved, addictions broken, marriages restored? Does he want to see generational curses be broken? Does God want to see lives changed? Yes. Then how does he do that? He does that through his church who's filled with his spirit because if it happened then, it happens now. If he did it for them, he wants to do it for us as well. So what did the apostles, what did they need? They couldn't do it on their own. They needed to be baptized with the spirit. It was essential for them. And I believe that where we're heading as a church, especially after this first Wednesday and getting ready for the next one, where God is leading us, we need more of the spirit, not less. And we need to be baptized with the spirit and redemption is not optional for us where God is leading us. It is essential for us all to understand what the baptism with the Holy Spirit means. So let me answer this question by giving you four things you need to know about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The first thing we see is what is called the prerequisite of spirit baptism. And look what we see in Acts 1.14. It says this, if you go back a page, it says all these were together in one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, again, we are an expository church. So let me remind you what that means is we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. So we're in chapter two, there's 28 chapters. So grab a snack, we're gonna be in Acts for a while, okay? And so when we finish the book of Acts, we're gonna be in our new building and we're gonna pick a new book and I'll figure it out a year from now what we're gonna teach, okay? Because we're gonna be here for a while. And in order for us to understand the text, what do we need to understand the context. So this is not just a collection of random stories that are just thrown together. It's all telling one big story. And so to understand this verse, we have to understand the verses leading up to that. So what do we see in Acts chapter one during that period? What are they doing? In Acts one, what are they doing? They're in a prayer meeting. They're in this place called the upper room and they're praying. Why are they praying? Because Jesus told them to. He says, go to Jerusalem, wait until you receive the promise of the father, which is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says, wait and pray. Wait and pray. What is the prerequisite for spirit baptism? It's prayer. It's seeking, praying, waiting, and asking. Now, here's the thing. We've got to remember, who is the one who baptizes with the Spirit? Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Spirit. The Spirit baptizes into the body. The church baptizes in water. But Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Spirit. And so what is prayer? Just talking to Jesus. Just asking Jesus. Jesus, would you fill me up today? Jesus, would you baptize me with your spirit today? Jesus, would you fill me with your power today? Jesus, would you give me your spirit to be able to fill me up so I can go and pour out to my children, to my wife, to my kids, to my family, to the city that I live in? God, would you just pour out your spirit upon me? And as we ask, God answers. Jesus is the baptizer. Here's what you need to know, is that Jesus is both our savior and he is our baptizer. See, people oftentimes are like, Jesus saved me from my sins. But you know there's more to being a Christian than just being saved, right? Like there's, God wants more for you than just to raise your hand and pray your prayer and then just wait until you die. 
Like, like God didn't save you just to fill a seat. He saved you to fulfill a purpose, right? God doesn't just want you to like fill a pew. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can live a life of power. Like that's what God wants for you. Like so many Christians just settle for less than God's best. They're like, well, I prayed a prayer. What do I do in the meantime? There's so much more you can do in the meantime. He has so much more in store for your life. God wants so much for us as believers. And so oftentimes we just settle for the, the mundane instead of, instead of believing God for the miraculous. And we live this boring Christian life where we just wake up, we go to church, we did our duty, we check the box, and then we go to work the next day. God has so much more for each and every single one of us. Yes, he saved you. Amazing! But now he wants to send you with his Holy Spirit. Jesus is our savior, but he's also our baptizer. And he has so much more for each and every one of us. And all we have to do is ask. And if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you shall knock. And the door will be opened up to you. Jesus is the baptizer. So number one, the prerequisite is to ask Jesus to baptize you with the spirit. The second thing is this, is the process of spirit baptism. Here's what we see is that there is a, a process that takes place. And we see this in verse four. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're gonna talk about tongues for a moment because I know that a lot of you guys have, have questions. But the first thing that I wanna show you this is that there is a process when it comes to Spirit baptism and that it doesn't always just happen all of a sudden but rather it is waiting, it is praying. How long were the disciples praying for? 10 days before it ever happened and it ever took place. And here's what's interesting is we look down at this verse four and it's, you see the word filled. Now, some of you, because you're gonna have questions, you're gonna say, okay, well, I mean, John and Jesus use the word baptized, but here Luke in Acts chapter two is using the word filled. So which one is it? Are they baptized with the spirit or were they filled with the spirit? Well, the answer is both. Just imagine like we got a swimming pool in our backyard and I put chlorine in it and have a little chlorine tab uh, dispenser and I drop the chlorine tab, I set it into the tank and as it sinks, it also fills. As it's being baptized, it's also being filled and it's actually the filling that allows it to sink to be baptized. It's the same thing. You can be full of the spirit, baptized, both are the same thing. And then some of you, because you're astute theologians, you're gonna ask this question, well, what's the difference between being filled versus being indwelled? You're like, well, I've heard the word being indwelled, but I thought the moment that I become a Christian, all of a sudden, pastor, that's, that's when I'm saved. Isn't that what you say? Like I'm saved. Yes, you are saved, but there is a next step. He wants you to be filled. Like there's a difference between indwelling and infilling. Let me show you in the Bible. I love to back everything up with the Bible. Don't just believe me because I have a microphone. Let's get back into the word of God. Here's what we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So the moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and dwells inside of every single believer. So if you're a Christian, don't hear me on this. If you're a Christian, you have been indwelt by the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of your life. The moment you get saved, boom, God deposits the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us. He indwells in us, but yet at the same time, he also wants to baptize us. He wants to give us another step, a next step, another blessing when it comes to our walk with Jesus. You say, well, we're that in the Bible. Let's keep going. Ephesians 5.18, Paul commands Christians, and he says this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there's some people who they're going to say, well, those are the same things, indwelled and filled and baptized. It's all different words to use the same thing. Well, here's my question is why would Paul command them to do something that's already been done? If the moment you get saved, you're filled with the Spirit, why would he tell you be filled with the Spirit if it's already happened the moment you gave your life to Jesus? You cannot command somebody to do something that has already been done. And so what I come to my conclusion is this, that it's a different act. It's something different. It's a next step. It's just like the three baptisms, that you're baptized into the body, you're baptized into water, and then you're baptized into the spirit. And so I see them as unique and different instances. And listen, I know that I'm getting way down in the weeds right now, but, and you guys are like, I just ate lunch and I'm kind of tired already. You keep doing all this theology. My eyelids are getting heavy. I lost you like five minutes ago. So let me give you an illustration to better help you understand this. I got my friend Okai. Come on, let's give it up for Okai this morning. All right, he has been helping me all day. Come on, look at that. We're gonna cook up in here, all right? All right, and so I, in my sermon prep, I came across a recipe, a 2,000-year-old cookbook, a recipe on how to make pickles, okay? And this is very important, right? It's the things I learned in sermon prep. Uh, and so I learned how to make pickles this week as a part of my sermon. And it's important because when it comes to the word baptize in the Bible, there's actually two words. They, they look and sound identical, but there's two. There's bapto and baptizo, okay? So bapto means to dunk or to dip or to plunge. Baptizo means to submerge, to immerse, to soak, or to overwhelm. That's what it means. And so let me, let me show you what they would say when you want to make a pickle. You take a cucumber. Y'all are the four service, so this one has seen better days. Um, so what do you do is you, you take the cucumber and then you, you bapto it into boiling water. And as you bapto it, it rinses it, it cleans it, and you have to bapto it into this boiling water. But you don't leave it in the boiling water because that would not make a pickle, right? It just make a mess. And so you have to bapto it into the boiling water, but then you need to baptizo it into the vinegar and all the different seasoning and all the different spices. And then you gotta, what do you gotta do? You gotta, you gotta wait as it is baptizo, and then eventually it becomes a pickle, right? Okay, so baptizo transforms us. The baptism with the Spirit changes us. We're still the same, but we're different. We have a different seasoning. We got a different flavor. We got a different purpose on our lives, right? Now you're not putting cucumbers on a sandwich, but you put some pickles on a sandwich, right? Because it, it changes us. It's the same, but yet at the same time, it's different. And this is what Jesus wants for all of us is he wants us to be baptizo, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, to be consumed by the Holy Spirit, to be overwhelmed by the life of the Spirit, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be pickled in the Holy Ghost. That's what he wants. So every single one of us, we have to ask this question, like, how do we know if we've been baptized in the Spirit? Like, does our life look fundamentally, radically different than it does before we ever met Jesus or after? Does, have we noticed that there has been a change and a transformation, a life-altering moment that has taken place that we can never deny what God has done in our lives? That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want us just to be bapto where we come into the church and we get a little dip here and then we go out. No, he wants us to be baptizo, to be immersed, to be submerged, to be overwhelmed, to be, to, to be baptized 
in the Holy Spirit. Listen, here's what I believe is that God always has more in store for those who follow after him. Like there's always a next step. There's always something more. There's always more that God wants to do in every single one of our lives. Like, do you ever just read the Bible and you just think like, I'm missing something. Do you ever just read it and just think like, man, when I'm flipping through the page of the book of Acts, I just see, man, their prayers get answered and that person's gotten healed. And man, look at that. There's like revival breaking out and now chains are falling off. And all of a sudden like this person is, is being saved and then this healing's taking place and here's another miracle and there's another sermon. Do you ever just read the Bible and you're like, if this is what the church looks like, what are we doing? Am I the only person who just realizes like I'm missing something here? You know why? Because we are. We, we are missing something. We're missing what God wants in every single one of us. Like God wants us to be filled with the spirit and to be empowered by his spirit to be his witnesses here across the world. Like God has more in store for each and every single one of us. And so don't settle for less than what God has best over your life. Like God doesn't want you to just like fill a pew and go to a Sunday school class. Like God has so much more for you than just to be a number on a whiteboard in the back of the church. He wants you to be his witness, to bring heaven to earth and to see lives changed. We gotta stop thinking Christianity is about me and Jesus. No, there's a whole world outside that we're to be sent out on mission to be able to share the love and the good news of Jesus with. And we can do that whenever we have the power and the boldness to continue to do that by being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, some people are going to say, okay, Byron, that's good preaching, but let's get back to that theology stuff. Are you telling me that you believe that the baptism with the Spirit is a separate event than salvation? Yes, I, I believe it's a separate event. Like there'll be some people who they'll say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. We don't believe that. Right, that's Pentecostal. That's something different. We, we, we don't believe that. Every single Christian, the moment that they are saved, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But the baptism of the Spirit is a separate act. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? Great question. I love that. But you keep asking, where's the Bible? Let me give you a verse, 19.1. Acts 19.1. And it happened. What's that? Baptism of the Spirit happened. Here's a story. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland of the country and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. What's that word? What does the word disciple mean? It means follower, right? So they're already followers. Here, here's what we say. And it said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Watch this response. He says, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Some of you, that's the tradition you were brought up in. You, you didn't even know teachings like this. That's why I always joke, like, many of us, we were raised Father, Son, Holy Bible. That's our trinity. Because you were never taught subjects like this, just like them. They were never, they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Look, look what keeps going on. He says this, and he said, into what then were you baptized? Into John's baptism. John was a baptism of repentance, telling them to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon, that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit language, came upon them and began speaking in other tongues and prophesying. Here we see all three baptisms taking place. Now, were they believers? It says they were, right? So they've already experienced the first baptism into the body. Then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So then they're baptized in water. And then they lay hands on them. They're filled with the spirit. They are baptized with the spirit. All three baptisms distinct from one another happen 
at the same time. This is the reason why I believe that the baptism with the Spirit is a second act subsequent of salvation. Why? Because God always has more in store for those who believe in him. Like you never run out of next steps when you're walking with Jesus. Like God always has more for you. Like he's never just going to be like, okay, you've done enough. You can just take it, take it easy for a while. No, he always has more. You're never going to get bored. You're never going to get old. You're never going to get tired. There's always a new journey. There's always a new adventure. There's always a next step. There's always something God has to continually bless you with. And if you've been baptized in the spirit, you can continually be filled with the spirit over and over and over and over again for the, for the work in which God has called you to do. You say, okay, Byron, that's great, but you still haven't talked about tongues. Okay, we'll do that next. All right. The third thing is the purpose of spirit baptism. Look what it says right here. They were utterly amazed. They asked, aren't all these people speaking Galilean? And now that we hear them in our own native language, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygia, Pamalema, Dingdong, Egypt, and parts of Libya, and Cyrene, and, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, and Judaism, and Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God. How? In our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does that mean? What does this mean? Now, anytime someone talks on spirit baptism, that's the first question that I get asked. What do you believe about speaking in tongues? It's the first question. Hey, I'm gonna preach on spirit baptism. Oh, are you gonna talk about speaking in tongues? Now, listen, here, here's what I wanna say for just a moment. I want you to get that out of your head. I want you to just take that idea and set it aside. Because here's what we see in the Bible is that, when Jesus says, you will receive power, right? That's what he says. What he doesn't say is, you will receive tongues, okay? Hold on with me for a sec. So many people, when they're praying for the baptism with the Spirit, the only thing they are focused on is speaking in tongues. That's it. And some people, the reason they don't ask for the baptism with the Holy Spirit is because they don't want to speak in tongues, they're like, you can make me a pickle, but don't make me speak in tongues. <laughs> because it just, it, just, it just consumes people's minds. Listen, in Acts 1 and in Luke 24, where Jesus kind of ties all this in in his ministry, never once does he mention speaking in tongues. Okay? Never once does he. He says, you need power. You, you need this. Here's what he doesn't say. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will speak in tongues. That's not what he says. What does he say? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Listen, the goal is not to speak in tongues. The goal is to preach the gospel. That's the gospel. That's, 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 the, that's, that's the purpose. The purpose of Pentecost is not that we would just have this Holy Ghost goosebump moment and live up in the upper room. No, but it's be filled with the power to take it from the upper room down into the streets and preach the gospel to all the nations that are around us, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And here we see the ends of the earth all right there. And what are they doing? They are preaching the gospel. They're not concerned about speaking in tongues. They're more worried about, am I preaching? the gospel? Am I proclaiming the good news? Am I declaring the wonders and the mysteries of God so that when people hear it, their lives will be changed? It's not about speaking in tongues. It's about preaching the gospel. That is the purpose of spirit baptism. Say, okay, well, great. Well, what about speaking in tongues? Okay, fine. All right, we'll talk about it. 
When you're asking for the baptism of the spirit, don't be worried about speaking in tongues. Here's what you need to think about. Think about the lost person in your neighborhood, your next door neighbor. Think about your coworker who is going through a divorce. That's who you need to be thinking about. Don't be thinking about tongues, thinking about witnessing. Like, do you know anybody who knows and does not know love Jesus? Anybody in the room? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, then you need a spirit baptism to reach them. If it, was, if it was not optional for them, it's not optional for us. It's essential for us. So don't think about speaking in tongues. Think about reaching the lost. Think about preaching the gospel. Think about living a life that is on mission and on purpose and fulfilling the vision of God for all of creation. That's what we're asking. Jesus, baptize me with your spirit. Not so I can speak in tongues, but so I can proclaim the gospel. And, and, and I believe that, that speaking in tongues is a byproduct, but I do not believe speaking in tongues is the point. The point is to receive the power that God has for you in your life. You say, well, okay, well, Byron, you're still skirting the issue. Tell me about tongues. All right, fine, fine, fine. I'll talk about tongues. There's three types of tongues in the Bible. We're going to have a whole first Wednesday sermon coming up in a few months. And so mark your calendar, probably August, where we'll teach over tongues in a very in-depth as we get into the spiritual gifts on our first Wednesday series. But let me say for a moment, there's three types of tongues mentioned throughout the Bible. And the first type is what is called a private gift. This is what I have. Several on our staff, many of you probably have this gift as well. And so what is it? What is it? it is where I am praying to God using my private prayer language. I received this through the baptism of the Spirit when I was about 23, 24 years old. I was sitting in my papa's truck at church because that's where I thought God lived. Um, and I had been a Christian for about two years, maybe three years. Me and Ashley weren't yet married. So, um, so I... I was in a very depressed state, angry at God, bitter at the church, wanted to give up on everything. And I, I was having this moment where I was just praying to God. It's like, God, if you're real, prove yourself, show yourself. God, I'm so tired of this. I'm just struggling right now, Lord Jesus, I need you. And then all of a sudden, I just started speaking in tongues. I was like, whoa, that was weird. Um, but just like, in, I, just, I just felt the rush and the love of God wash all over me. And, and it was like, it was like a warm blanket wrapped around me. And I just felt his presence like I never experienced before. And ever since that day, I have disobeyed God, but I have never doubted or denied him. I know that I know that I know above anything else that I'm real, that he's real because there was a, an experience that I had that I cannot shake. I know it. And so that's, that's what happened for me. Some of you, you got it through a prayer meeting, through laying out of hands. I know one person received, you know, this gift while they were taking a shower. They were like, like baptized with water and baptized with shower. They were baptized and then baptized, right? Uh, we had one person who they came up out of the, the baptism tank speaking in tongues before. Like it's happened different ways. What is that? It is a private prayer language, okay? Biblical. Okay, here, here's what we see in the Bible. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14. The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God, for no one understands, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. It's a Bible verse. Okay, so we're not crazy, okay? It's in there. But who are they speaking to? To God. There'll be some people who are skeptics and critics, and they'll say, well, you know, in the Bible, they were known languages. Okay, well, just keep reading, because you get a little further on. In 1 Corinthians, it says, they were speaking to God, not to men. So the next one is a public prayer language, which is different. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be one or two or at most three, each in a turn, and let someone interpret. He's talking about in a church service. And then he says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So this is different because 
It's not the private prayer language because we've already seen that that is not for men, but it's for only a private relationship with God. But here we see that he's actually encouraging them to use it in a church setting. Well, why? Because this is a public gift that is to be interpreted through a prophecy. It's different. It's a different setting. And so we do not allow this gift on a Sunday morning because there's so many non-believers who come here. So we actually would put guardrails that would prevent it from happening on a Sunday morning. But we do allow it on a first Wednesday prayer meeting because we know that it's all believers for the most part, but it's all believers and we want to operate in our spiritual gifts. And so it's possible this could happen. We have not had it happen yet in our church, but that's not to say that it won't happen but it can happen and we pray. And if you have the gift of interpretation, let me know after service. As of what I know, there is not a person in our church at this moment who has received that gift. If you do have it, let me know. That'd be interesting. We can have a conversation around that. But I want you to see something is that both of these are different than what we read happening in Acts 2. Why? Because the miracle here was not in the interpretation. The miracle here was in the tongues. And they weren't speaking to God. What were they doing? They were speaking to men. And men heard them in their own language. Okay, this is the only instance, and this happens in the entire Bible. And so the question then becomes, well, what is that? Well, it's number three. It's what we would call a missionary gift. Okay, a missionary gift is where they are proclaiming the gospel in a language they don't know, but the, but the people hearing it hear it in their own native language. You say, well, does that happen? Well, again, we're continuationists, so we believe that if it's in the Bible, then it's also true. So, so here I reached out to a friend of mine. He's a missionary in East Africa. His name's Jacob Jester. He'll be here in September. He's going to preach on missions for us. And what he said, he said, man, I'm going to ask around the office. And so he's located in East Africa. He asked around the office. And then he told me this. He said, he texted me this week. And he said, um, he, he said this, we have a missionary here in East Africa that heard a woman praying in perfect English. He went and spoke to her, but she didn't understand him. He talked with the pastor, and the pastor said she doesn't speak English. She was actually just praying in tongues. But we heard her praying in English, and she was worshiping God and telling us about the goodness of God. This is what happens. Why? Because if it happened then, it can happen again. If it happened then, it can also happen to us. Now, listen, I used to apologize for preaching like this. I used to come across texts like this and be like, oh, so awkward. Oh, man, I don't want people to think that I'm weird. Oh, don't, do I tell them about me speaking in tongues? That's crazy. Like, do I, I don't know, man. I used to get so embarrassed about verses like this. Because, like, well, how do I explain that? And then we're going to start all this, like, debates, and our small groups are going to get funky, and people are going to be arguing. Oh, well, I do this and this, and I was raised in this denomination versus this denomination. What do you believe about that? And this is going to cause all these different problems. And, man, you know, I, I, just, I just don't like teaching on these verses because, ah, oh, it just makes me feel so weird. And you know what I've come to the conclusion? We're weird. <laughs> and we should stop trying to pretend we're not. Listen, God called the church not to fit in, but to stand out. Like there's just, you gotta understand, there's things about Christianity that's just gonna be weird and you gotta get okay with that. Like we, we worship a guy who died and rose again. That's weird. His mom was a virgin. That's weird. Jesus created, or God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. That's weird. He destroyed the world with a flood. Whoa, that's weird. He's going to come back again, riding on a water horse with flames in his eyes. Yeah, guess what? It's a little weird. So don't get shocked or surprised when you read something in the Bible that's a little weird. Speaking of tongues, it's a little weird. But you know what? We live in a world that is weird. 
And maybe it's time for us as a church to embrace the crazy and get a little weird. Like the world we live in is wild, guys. Like, have you turned the news on? Have you seen what's going on? Like we have the, the number one growing religion in America right now is witchcraft. Trending on TikTok, witch talk. They're praying to crystals. They're taking sage and they're brushing off evil spirits and cleansing themselves. And, and they're bending themselves in pretzels while doing yoga, trying to align their chakras. Listen, if you could pray to crystals, I could pray in the Holy Ghost. Like, like the world we live in, like we have men who think they could get pregnant and we have women who are defending men who become the women of the year. Things are weird. We should be a little weird too. Like if your pronouns are they, them, my adjectives are spirit filled. Let's just get a little weird. Why do we apologize for what we believe? Why do we, why do we shrink back? You know, we live in a society where everybody is so full of themselves when the church should be full of the spirits. Maybe it's time for us. You know why? Because cool church is not working. It hasn't worked in the last 20 years. That's why young people are leaving the church in droves and they're going to, to pray to some ambient force that's floating around in the cosmic universe and the mystery and trying to align themselves. You know why? Because they weren't taught that there was a spirit of God that has power to set them free. So they're looking for it in other places rather than in the word of God. Because we are so afraid to be weird. You know what? Now they're all weird. <laughs> See, we, we, cool church just isn't working. Like we need to get back to the Bible, guys, and stop apologizing for the words in which the Bible teaches. Yeah, it's strange, but, but we are. We're called a peculiar people in the Bible. He called us to stand out, to, to not fit in. You were not born again to be like everybody else. He doesn't want you to live a normal life, but a supernatural life, not a boring life, but a life of miracles and the miraculous. He wants you to be able to be his witness. And you can't do that when you look like everybody else. So maybe it's time for us to just read the Bible and believe what it says. Instead of trying to apologize for it, we just need to believe it and do it. This is, this, this, I, I, I just think about this all the time where it's like, guys, listen, if you picked Redemption Church because you think we're the cool church, listen, your mega church, celebrity pastor is driving a 2010 Yaris in the back. These are shoes are three years old. This watch was a gift. And I just wear the same clothes every single day. Listen, if you're looking for the cool church, you're at the wrong church. It's the wrong church for you. We're not the cool church. We're the Bible, talk, Bible preaching, tongue talking, spirit filled, reaching the lost type church. That's what we are. And, and, and if you're here because you just want to find something that's going to tickle your fancy, because there's, there's dozens of other churches that you can step into. And a lot of them are splitting and dying. You know why? Because they don't teach stuff like this. Like we, we live in this, this, listen, the church is not doing well. Okay. Look, here's, here's a graph. I'm going to show it to you right here. This is a graph of, of the decline of churches in America. Surveyed eight major world um, American denominations. Every single one of them is in a tailspin. Like we have the, the Methodist church and the Episcopal church. They're splitting. You know why? Because they're too busy trying to figure out what drag queen they want to bring to teach the Sunday school class. You say, well, why are, these, why are these churches failing? You know why? Because they've neglected to teach on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not bless that which he has not welcomed in. You have the Episcopal church who's having transgendered priests celebrating at drag shows. 
And you know what? Every single one of these that go woke, they go broke. And every they go progressive, their churches continue to spiral in a deep decline. But there's only one denominational affiliation that over the last five years has experienced continual growth year after year. You know what that is? The Assemblies of God. And that's the, that's the denomination we're a part of, the Assemblies of God. It's the only one that is still growing. You know why? Because it is a spirit-filled, Bible-based, Jesus-loving, people-reaching church. Why is it that, that spirit-filled churches are growing when every other church is dying? Because the Holy Spirit will not bless where he's not welcome. And then the second thing is, we believe that the purpose for power is to be a witness to the lost. We're not interested in just playing church, man. We're here to be the church and to reach the lost and to see lives changed. Listen, we're not here to fill a seat. God has a purpose he wants you to fulfill in your life. And we need to get over this me-centered Christianity. It's Jesus-centered, others-focused. That's the point. And we live with power and we serve. That's the purpose. It's not to speak in tongues. That's not the point. What is the point, guys? What is the point? It's to preach the gospel. That's the meaning behind it. The fourth thing and the final thing as we close is this, is the pursuit of the spirit baptism. Say, okay, Byron, you've shown me logically through the scriptures. You've walked me through the three different baptisms. You've shown me the difference between continuation and cessationism. I got a lot of big words. My head hurts. I feel like I got homework before I go to a small group. What do I do now? Okay, well, here's what you do. You do the same thing the disciples did before they received. What did they do? Let's go back to the very beginning. What did they do? They prayed. Say, how do I receive the baptism with the Spirit? Here's what you do. You ask, you pray, and then you receive. You ask, you pray, and then you receive. Let's go back. He says in verse 1-4, what does he say? You will receive power. Verse 8, what do you have to do? You have to receive it. You have to receive it. You have to receive it. Okay, you can't earn it. You can't fight for it. You can't buy it. You receive it. And then he says you have to wait wait and you pray 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 and you pray. How long did they pray? They prayed for 10 whole days. When was the last time you prayed for longer than 10 minutes, let alone praying for 10 days for one thing? That's how important this was for them. They did not leave that upper room until the promise came and they prayed and they prayed. You know why? Because here's what they understand. And I think it's something that we forget is it's prayer that unlocks the power of God in our lives. It's prayer, my friends. It's prayer. The church for too long has tried programs to unlock the power of God and it doesn't work. We've tried events and marketings to replace miracles and it doesn't work. We've tried advertising. We need the anointing. That's what changes lives. It's prayer, my friends. It is prayer that unlocks the power of God in your life. Do you want to see prayers answered? Then pray prayers. Do you want to see lives change? You got to pray. Do you want to see a person get healed? Then have the boldness to pray. Do you want to see this church filled to overflowing? Then you got to pray. Do you want to see your coworker get in this baptism water because you let him in a conversation? Then pray. Do you want to see the power of God like never before? Pray. Like, I just find it so frustrating when people are like, I don't know if we need more Holy Spirit in our church. 
I'm like, I got, I have a dad of two girls, six and three years old. They go to public school. I need the Holy Spirit just to be a parent. Say more or less, guys, you need the Holy Ghost just to go to Walmart. What are you talking about? People, like, we need more of God. We need his power in our life like never before. And where we're heading as a church, I'm just telling you, it's not optional. Where God is leading us, it is essential for us to accomplish the vision that God has given us here at Redemption. It is prayer, my friends. It is prayer that unlocks the power of God in our lives. So I just have to ask this question. What would our, our church look like if we had 600, like last week we had 597 people on a Sunday, okay? And so what would our church look like? Y'all don't know that because it's four services. It just feels like a, but if every service is like this, that's 600 people, you know? So like, so, 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 so what happened if we had 600 people who they were like, every single morning before their feet hit the floor, they just took a deep breath and they said, Father, baptize me in your spirit. What would our church look like? If every single day before we, before, we, before we started trying to get our kids breakfast, we just said, Lord Jesus, before I start my day, I'm just gonna ask you, Lord, would you just baptize me with your Holy Spirit today? Fill me with your power today. I can't do it without you, God. I need your presence in my life. I need you today. When was the last time you asked for the Spirit, to, to, for Jesus to baptize you in the Spirit? When was the last time that you sought his power before you made a decision? When was the last time you asked him to fill you up for wisdom or for your day? When was the last time you just sat there and said, Lord Jesus, I'm not moving until you bless me, God? When was the last time you did that? What would our church look like? If we, what would your home look like? If that's the way you parented your kids and the way that you treated your spouse, what would your home look like? It would look like heaven invading that house. That's exactly what happened here in the upper room. It says, it talks about heaven just rushed in. Could you imagine a rushing wind in your living room as you, as you pray with your kids? What, what, would our, what would our workplaces look like if, if we adopted this mindset of being spirit-filled everywhere we go? I mean, you know the Holy Spirit doesn't just cause you to speak in tongues. He'll cause you to hold your tongue too. He's like, zip it. Don't send that email. Don't send that text. All right, the Holy Spirit don't just make you run around. He helps you walk straight, all right? Not just speak in tongues, but hold your tongue too. What would your workplace look like? I mean, guys, I just think about the effectiveness in ministry. I know I'm not perfect. You don't have to be perfect to speak in tongues. In fact, I, I sin, and, and, and it's all going to happen. Like, sometimes I speak in tongues, sometimes I speak in cursive, whatever. But, you know, like, like here, here, here's what happens. Like, like, there's a dynamic shift in your life that takes place. And if 95% of Christians, like we've already seen through this series, have yet to lead one person to Jesus in their lifetime... I think one of the reasons why that might be is because we're trying to fulfill the Great Commission without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're not effective. And we haven't taught it. And we haven't prayed for it. And we haven't asked it. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we haven't received it. Jesus says this. He says, you have not because you what? Ask not. But he says, anyone who asks will receive. And so what do we do, church? We just ask. Say, Lord Jesus... You are the baptizer. I ask for you to baptize me with your Holy Spirit. 